Welcome to the Maximizing Outcomes Podcast, brought to you by Jim McGovern and the McGovern Wealth Group. Achieving bigger and better results with money, family, and business isn't about creating a bigger to-do list for yourself. It's about who can help you create results without you having to do all the work. Listen as we provide uncommon perspectives, powerful resources, and experienced people that can help you maximize outcomes in your life. Let's get to the show. Hello, and welcome to Maximizing Outcomes with Jim McGovern. Jim, what's going on? Well, we got a great show lined up for today, but uh, before we get into that, Eric, I understand there's some updates in, in your world. <laughs> there are a few updates, Jim, in my <laughs> Let's world. Let's talk about that before we get into the episode here. <laughs> That's right. Well, I, I don't want to put your guest off too long. You have a great guest on the show today. But yes, there, there are some changes in, in my life personally, and this podcast is not about me. Jim, you always bring great guests on. You have great conversations. This is about you and, and what you do. Uh, but uh, my wife and I worked for an organization uh, called Boys Town. Many, many years ago, uh, worked there about almost 12 years, raised 68 young men in that time. Uh, it's basically a, a facility for at-risk youth. And if you've ever seen the movie Boys Town from 1938 with Mickey Rooney and Spencer Tracy, that is the place. That is the actual place that we worked and uh, we loved it. And uh, we keep in contact with most, I say boys, but most of them are like 30, 35 now, which is really weird. Uh, but, uh, Boys Town is also just like every other organization out there is having trouble finding folks to work. Uh, so they have asked Candy and I to come back as family teachers. And we are currently, we moved back a couple months ago and I'm, I've been doing the podcast with you even in the midst of this. And now I've got seven teenage boys living under my roof and we're attending sporting events. We got the blue and white, uh, football game coming up this Friday and, and life is crazy. <laughs> so with that, um, Boys Town says, hey, can you not have another job? Because, you know, it's a full-time job raising all these kids. And I respect that and I understand it. And it is busy. And so I am hanging up my uh, my headphones for a while for the podcast. But you have somebody joining you and and uh, somebody will be working with you that is, is as good, if not better than I. So I'm, I'm excited for you. Well, we're excited for you. You've been a big part of the show. And I know that the, uh, the audience always enjoys hearing your voice and uh, – we wish you and your family all the best, and uh, we know those those kids are in great hands, and uh, we're excited to get some updates from you from time to time. Maybe okay. we'll, we'll have you yeah. as a guest on the show someday. That'd be great. All right. Yeah. No, I'd love to talk about that. And, and Jim, I'm telling you right now, I'm, I'm very serious about this. You have a spot at my table. My dinner table is 14 feet long, and it's huge, and it's always full of tons of food, and you, are, you and your family are invited for dinner to experience a dinner you'll never forget. We appreciate that. We'll bring some extra sides because it sounds like there's a lot of mouths to yeah, feed. So absolutely. <laughs> so we're going to talk about opportunity zones. Uh, actually, it's called qualified opportunity okay. zones, and uh, these are a newer concept. These have emerged uh, really uh, in the last handful of years. This this is a, a pretty powerful tool to stimulate some economic growth in some distressed communities. Um, but there's also some other advantages as an investor. And there's not a lot of things these days that uh, get some bipartisan support. This is the exception. Uh, both sides of the aisle are in favor of qualified opportunity zones. So this is something that came out of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017. And uh, we have a great guest lined up for today. So we're going to be talking to Ray DeSantis, who is the Managing Director of Capital Markets at a company called Red Brick LMD. And he's going to be talking to us about qualified opportunity zones, what they are, what they're not. We're going to talk a little bit about um, how some of the tax rules work around this, even though he's not a tax advisor. I'm going to say in the beginning, we're not going to be giving tax advice. We're going to tell you just some of the basics 
And uh, we're going to talk about why they're gaining some support and why a lot of folks are starting to look at these. So we're going to talk about what types of investors may want to consider these things. We're going to talk about some of the pros and the cons. We're going to talk about some of the risks associated with it. So I think it's a it's a newer topic to many people. So we just wanted to spend a good you know 30 to 40 minutes educating our audience on what these things are. So with that, Ray, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Jim. Excited to be here. So just give us a little bit about your background and uh, tell us uh, who Redbrick LMD is. Sure. As you mentioned, I'm the, I'm the managing director of Redbrick. Um, I've spent uh, probably about 20, almost 25 years now uh, in the industry. The last 15 really been focused on uh, the alternative space, specifically in real estate. Uh, I joined Redbrick a little over two years ago, but uh, previous to that, I was also working with a firm uh, specifically uh, in the Opportunity Zone space was a, was a main focus of what we were doing. So really, ever since Opportunity Zones became a thing, uh, I've been uh, working pretty heavily in that space. Uh, Redbrick is a vertically integrated real estate investment firm. We're, we're a management and development company. We're based in Washington, D.C. We work specifically in that area. Uh, almost all of our projects are, are large scale. They're institutional style real estate. Uh, we focus on on impact and owning a portfolio in an area that is going to uh, affect the DC area. We do have a few other outside of the DC space, but generally we're focused in that area. We we feel like uh, where we're located and 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 who we have on the team, uh, that's where we're going to be staying. So that that's what we're known as. We're we're a DC player. Fantastic. So let's start real high level and sure. just have you explain just in in simple terms and layman's terms what a qualified opportunity zone is and how they operate. Absolutely. So, you know, as you mentioned, uh, opportunity zones came into being relatively recently. 2017, the Tax and Jobs Act came through, Tax Cut and Jobs Act. And part of that was uh, the establishment of the Investing in Opportunity Act. And the idea is to spur growth in particular areas and job creation in particular areas uh, of underserved communities. The idea with that initiative is that investors with capital gains may be eligible for some tax benefits in exchange for investing in long-term investments that in areas that otherwise, quite frankly, don't particularly get private investment. And that's really what they are and what they're operated in. Um, you know, as you mentioned, it is one of the few bipartisan things that's happened over the past 10 years. Um, you know, people always want to address that a little bit. And I think it's an important thing. You know, this really started to come to fruition under Obama. It was signed by Trump. And, you know, like you mentioned, there's a lot of bipartisan support for potentially extending it, which would be signed by by, by Biden at this particular point. So uh, again, that's a statement you can't say about a, a lot of things. So how does an area get designated as an opportunity zone? And what are some factors that investors should consider when they're thinking about a location for an opportunity zone investment? So that's a really important question. So um, the governors of each state were tasked using census data actually from back in 2010 on what areas would be designated as opportunity zones. And, and to be clear, that's exactly what they are. They're actual tracts of land. They can be urban. They can be rural. Uh, some are as small as a couple of square blocks. Some are several hundred square miles. And it is important uh, because not all the governors did as good of a job as others. And they got a lot of input from mayors and not all of them did as good of a job of, of designating specific areas. There is over 8,700 zones in the country. And you know, like any other investment, there are pieces of it that you need to make sure the investor understands, 
Um, and location is an important part of that process, right? Um, you know, you want to be able to invest in an area that is important to you. Um, if you want to do it for investment purposes, you want to make sure it's an investment that you believe in, you can commit to. Um, these are long-term investments, so you need to believe in that for a, a required time frame of over ten years. Uh, so, you know, location is really an important thing. There are areas that you really want to focus on and say, "Hey, I can see the growth in this particular area." Or potentially, it might be an area that you just really have a lot of affection for. It might be a hometown or something like that that you want to focus that 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 investment in. Um, that doesn't necessarily make it a great investment, but it's a reason why what you should be consider going forward. So, location is one of the first things you should think about when you're coming to whether or not uh, you want to invest in a particular opportunity zone. Nowadays, a lot more people are more um, aware of the impact of their investment dollars. You know, yep. people, I think they want to do well when they invest money, but they also, in a lot of cases, they want to make sure that they're, they're, they're a good citizen at the same time. So how do, how do qualified opportunity zone investments have a positive impact on the local economic development and the communities that are involved? Absolutely. So, it, you know, it's important to sort of step back and think about what these were trying to do for folks. Yes, there's very, very attractive tax incentives here for folks that have gains. And, and we'll we'll get into that. But the idea is on the other side to impact a local area. Again, the investments are in areas that typically wouldn't get private investment. That's really what it comes down to. A lot of these areas we we refer to as, as deserts, right? There's a housing desert or there's a retail desert or a medical desert where, you know, maybe several hundred thousand people live, but there's only a few places to shop. Maybe there's only a few places to go and get some medical help. There's typically a housing issue in many of these these areas. The construction project itself, because uh, again, most of these opportunity zone investments tend to be real estate development. They tend to be ground up development and therefore they're creating jobs. And the idea is to see if there can be a boost in the economic area for local employees as well. Everything from construction to to food, um, to to you know, just the area in general, getting a nice energy energy boost from a project in an area that may or may not have gotten much of that in the past. And as you mentioned, Jim, you know, this is one of those things that we've seen. That's the positive impact is important to folks. Um, you know, we do talk to people that hey, look, they, they care about the the, the tax incentive. Uh, we we understand that. Um, but a lot of times you're talking about the, uh, you know, with with families that you know it is important to them to make sure they have the right impact on the area. Absolutely. Someone was picturing you mentioned like a like a, a land desert, right? And there's needs to be some construction. We need to bring in some jobs, and you're bringing some some hospitals, things like that. So I, I can picture it in my mind, like what it looks like as it's being constructed. But if I'm an investor and I'm looking to put money into something like this, like what am I actually investing in? Like what are people actually buying? When they invest money into a qualified opportunity zone. Absolutely. So um, for the most part, investments are real estate in the opportunity zone. They are typically developments. Uh, There is a piece of the legislation that allows for an investment in a business within an opportunity zone. But to be frank, up to this point, that's been a very, very small percentage uh, who have been able to utilize that uh, provision. I think you'll see more of it as, as the years go on. But it's just an easier thing to understand of I'm building a building in a particular area. I understand what it is, what we're trying to do, what the target rates of return are. It's just easier for people to wrap their head around as opposed to the the investment in a specific business in that area. There are specific and strict requirements set down by uh, regulations 
right? There are certain things that you cannot build. Um, you cannot build uh, golf courses, no liquor stores, no casinos, things that make make sense, right? Um, that's not what we're looking for in these particular areas. Uh, they are looking for substantial improvement over a specific time frame. And because of what that is, that substantial improvement, uh, it typically means ground up development, right? Because that's the best way to make sure you're hitting those those marks. And again, the the operating business and real estate in those opportunity zones are likely going to get a nice jump from that project. So what what do they look like? Could be anything. Could be apartment buildings. Could be industrial buildings. Could be office buildings. Right. All of those things. Medical facility buildings. That's what you're investing in. So when you're thinking about what am I what am I looking at? You, you need to get your head around. That's what it is. It's it's a real estate development typically. And that can be a lot of different things. Okay. So it's kind of a, a broad spectrum of different real estate uh, type investments, but let's talk about taxes for a minute. Cause I know we mentioned sure. a couple of times here, there's some tax incentives and I know that yep. you're not a tax advisor. I'm not a tax advisor, but just from a high level, what, what are some of the tax benefits and some of the tax incentives for investors to consider something like this? Right, absolutely. So uh, certainly, everyone should should talk to their own specific tax advisor for their own specific purpose. But in general, what we're talking about here is an investor may use any long term or short term gain, any whatsoever um, that is harvested. It could be a sale of a business, securities, real estate. Not so much recently, but it was you know crypto. We saw some of that. Fine art. Um, I've even had a conversation about the sale of a baseball card. It can be any long term or short term gain. In general, you have about 180 days to take advantage of that gain and invest it into an opportunity zone. Now, I say in general because there are some provisions around partnerships, but you should be thinking of it as I have 180 days to invest this money to take advantage of the benefits. And what it actually does for you is the original gain. Now, keep in mind, you cannot get away from paying taxes on the original gain, but the original gain is deferred, uh, whatever you amount you put into an opportunity zone. Uh, and recognized on December 31st, 2026. So obviously you have until 27 to pay that, April 15th of 27. So that's number one. Gain invested into an OZ is deferred until 26, payable in 27. Now that's a nice thing, obviously, for an investor, especially those with tax burdens. It really, really helps them out. However, the real reason we've seen so much flow into this area is, is, is the other provision, which is uh, there is no federal tax, and depending on the state you're in, no state tax on any new gains from the investment as long as it's held for more than 10 years. So you put in a certain amount of money into an opportunity zone, whatever's on your statement at the end of 10 years is tax-free federally and probably state depending on what state you're in. Also, you know, there's no recapture of depreciation or refinance upon the proceeds on exit. Now, for those of the folks that that do a lot of real estate, that that really resonates with them. Uh, folks that are in real estate when they when they sell, that is something they typically are dealing with uh, that recapture. There is none of that in opportunity zone. So, you know, usually when I'm explaining it to folks, it's it's whatever is on that statement the day before you the project is sold. That's what's getting wired to your account the next day. So it's very, very attractive from a tax standpoint uh, for people that that qualify. But one of the keys there is that you have to hold that investment for the 10 years. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So you know, there's certain types of investors that may be okay with that. Others may not. And that's maybe a reason why you don't do an opportunity zone. But let's just talk a little bit about some of the the types of investors that may consider something like this. 
Sure. So, you know, as I mentioned, it's it's typically investors that have uh, very large capital gains. And those gains, uh, what we've seen typically tend to be sale of businesses, which, you know, happen every year. It really doesn't matter. The market's up and down. You see a lot of sales of businesses. Uh, real estate, we see quite a bit. The folks really enjoy that. For, for obvious reasons, most of the investments are in real estate. Um, and therefore, it's something they understand. It's typically something they like. And they typically, if they've sold, have a tax burden that they need to address. You know, one of the things I always point out as well, it's, it's folks that have securities. Um, it can be an in, in, individual concentrated stock. We all see that, right? Um, it can be something that's been in the family for many, many years. It can be something that, hey, you, you bought Apple in 2002. Congratulations, right? Um, you we won. see a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah, you won. Um, and we, it's amazing what you see, right? Um as I mentioned, it's it's the key thing here is to to look at and say, hey, you know, do I have a gain? Could I have a gain? Or will I have a gain? Right? It's all of those together. You have that 180 day window. So, you know, one of the things you don't want to be doing is is racing to try to get it in under that 180 days. Preferably, it's something you're saying, hey, listen, it's in my portfolio, or I'm planning on selling my business or this piece of real estate. Let's look into this beforehand. That gives you more time frame to look at the actual benefits and talk to your tax advisor about that from that standpoint, it helps you look at finding the right investment in an opportunity. They're not all created equal, as we discussed. Keep in mind that many, uh, many funds do have uh, major requirements around suitability. They may require them to be a qualified purchaser, which is 5 million net worth and above. They may uh, require qualified client, which is 2.2 million above. There are a few that are accredited investor, which is typically about a million dollars and above in net worth. Those qualifications are based around net worth and investment experience. They should expect to hold this for 10 years. This is a long-term hold. They should expect limited liquidity to no liquidity. Um, it depends on the investment. Um, so it is something that they have to understand. And in terms of a risk return profile, you have to understand that this is development, typically. Right. So that real estate development typically it, it comes with a certain risk profile. This is not money that people are going to need in three or four years. Right. This is money that they're looking long term. How do I help with the tax burden? How do I get a, a longer term investment? Some typically, like I said, maybe getting some exposure to real estate and have the the risk return profile. That's who's who's typically looking at this. So just quick follow-up question on that. Uh, I'm just thinking of somebody who, who's selling a business or maybe they are selling a, a stock that they've done very well with that now has a big gain. Do they have to put 100% of that money into something like this to get the tax benefits or can they just use a piece of it? That's a great question. So uh, unlike some other benefits, uh, you do not have to put all of it in. And frankly, most people, most of the time you don't see that, right? Someone sells their business for $10 million. You don't have to put $10 million in it. You can take this as part of your overall portfolio and you look at it and say, okay, you know, I want to defer some taxes here. I will, you know, I'm, I'm working with my advisor to, to, to spread this tax burden out over several years. This is a solution to help. It's part of the, the piece. You only need to put Let's say, you know, a piece of that in there, whether it's 250,000 up to 10 million, right? I mean, that's what you, you're able to do. That is a great benefit here, right? Where you're not fully committing to that. And of course, that makes a lot of sense, you know, especially for those folks with net worth that's very attractive, but not exceptionally high, right? We typically, you know, in my experience, have only ever seen folks put all of their money in if they are on the very, very ultra high net worth scale. If somebody's worth a couple of hundred million dollars and they sell a building for 20 million, they don't need that liquidity, right? They've got it from other areas. If somebody's worth $8 million and they sell a building, 
for $5 million, and that's part of it, then obviously you're not putting $5 million into that. You're, you're, you're finding a piece. It's a really, uh, you know, typically we, we see folks measuring back and forth, okay, how much do I want to take advantage of this from a tax deferral and tax solution versus having an investment, you know, the, the percentage, the right percentage investment of their overall portfolio. That's how it's got to be put together. Excellent. So let's talk about just real estate investments in general, because I think some folks are, yeah, they're familiar with things like buying a building directly, you know, either in their own name or an entity that they control, or they're familiar with with real estate investment trusts, which might kind of have a feel of like a mutual fund where they may not have a, a time commitment. And now they're hearing about qualified opportunity zones. So what are what are some situations where somebody might consider, you know, a real estate investment trust or just directly owning real estate instead of an, an opportunity zone or or vice versa? Can you just kind of walk us through when one of those might fit better than another? Sure. So, I mean, opportunity zone investments require it to be a gain. Okay. Um, so that that's you start right there. If you don't have a gain and you want real estate exposure, you're, you're typically not going to be looking at opportunity zone investments. So that that's sort of the starting frame. Now, if if you do have a gain, that's the, sort of the next question of what you want to look look at. Um, again, it depends on your tax situation um, and the potential future tax liability. You have to be looking at those particular assets, but. You know, when it, you know, a REIT is a nice opportunity for you to get real estate exposure. Direct ownership obviously gives you a little bit more uh, focused real estate, right? It, you typically have a very good grasp on what that is. A lot of times, you see that in maybe a limited partnership or something that to that effect, um, or just owning real estate on your own. The, the the mix between all of that really depends on you know, your level of sophistication and. Usually, how much involvement do you want in the actual project of real estate? You know, diversification is another part of it, right? REITs are typically going to be very diversified. Um, specific ownership in one or two buildings is, is going to be a little bit less, but you might have a much bigger grasp on what's going on with the project and potentially a higher rate of return, risk return. Uh, but to step back to your question, you know, you know, if somebody walks in, you, in the door and says, I want to invest in real estate. Well, if there's no gain there, you go, okay, well, that's going to put us over into this bucket and let's see what we're looking here. If they have a gain, that's when you start talking about, okay, this might be a way of getting us real estate exposure and help with the tax benefit. That's really where it comes into. All right. Because if you have somebody who just is passionate about directly owning real estate, they're, they're, they're a pro at it. They've been doing it for a long time. They know what they're doing. They might be using things like 1031 exchanges to defer right. taxes and they're buying more real estate, but they might at a point where they're like, I don't want to do this anymore, or I'm starting to transition wealth down to my family who doesn't want to be in the real estate business. So if I sell the yeah. property, there might be a gain. So this might be a way to still have real estate exposure, more passive ownership, and then potentially have some some tax advantages. Yeah, personally, I've seen I've seen that a lot. Like we, it's it's sort of uh, people using opportunity zones to get off the 1031 exchange train, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the having to go to the next deal and the next deal and the next deal. You know, at some point they they, they get tired of looking for the next deal frankly, right. is what it is. Um, you know, they have concerns about, you know, hey, finding the next deal, is it going to be the right deal for us? And a lot of times it's, hey, I, I want to get something done. So my heirs, you know, down the road don't have to deal with this and aren't continually looking at this. Can we have an end game to this? And opportunity zones do offer an end game, right? At the end of the day, you have cash in hand tax-free, mm-hmm. right? That That's what they look for. So we do see that quite a bit. Um, you know, again, in general, when somebody walks in the door to you and say, "Hey, should I do a 1031 exchange or an opportunity zone?" I'll say it again: make sure you, you know, everybody's individual ideas are and and tax situations are different. But in general, the rule is: if you need income tomorrow to live, 
opportunity zones tend not to be the solution because usually it's development. You're not going to start getting income from those until a building exists, right? So uh, 1031 exchanges might make more sense if you need income tomorrow. Um, however, if you want the income, but don't need the income, right? Because everybody wants the income, but you don't need the income. Opportunity zones might be somewhere to start the conversation around. That's typically the rule between the two. Yeah, I think it's a good segue to my my next thought pattern here, which is on risk, right? Uh, There's no free lunch. Risk is real. Um, So let's talk about some of the potential risks and some of the challenges that are associated with, you know, investing in a qualified opportunity zone and, and how can people mitigate that? You know, what, what can they do to sort of balance that risk out uh, maybe elsewhere in their in their portfolio? Absolutely. So let's start from a, a higher scale of uh, you know, opportunity zone risk. These are 10-year holds by rule. Some different investments have some liquidity features within them, but you should be going into these thinking this is a 10-year investment. That's a long period of time, okay? You've got to make sure that your, your portfolio and yourself and your family, that that's perfectly understandable. While there is expected to be some sort of secondary market at some point, you should consider this an illiquid investment. If, if you have to sell somewhere in year seven or eight for whatever reason, there may be a secondary market out there, but you're not going to get what, what the, the investment is worth, right? So you have to make sure you're, you're looking at it from that standpoint. The other part of the, the risk is this is real estate development for the most part, and you have to understand what that entails of. Not all investments are created equal. An investor needs to be comfortable with the investment and QOZ legislation. Uh, whenever I speak to someone about it, I always tell them, like this, look, this is two conversations we're having. Number one is for you to understand the QOZ legislation and the tax benefits and understanding will it and how will it help me. And then the second part is totally on its own. This is an investment I would have done anyway, right? If it is an investment I would have done anyway, and I've got a really nice tax wrapper on top of it, then it's something that you really should be looking at from that standpoint. That's how you can sort of mitigate some of the risk from that standpoint. View it in two separate buckets. Uh, you know, I think some of the problems we're going to see in OZ down the road are not going to be around the tax legislation. It's going to be around the the underlying investments. That's where the problems are going to be. These investments can be as small as a couple of million dollar buildings. They can be hundreds of millions of dollars, a billion dollar investments. There are different types of risks that go along with those types of things. So in general, how do you uh, mitigate that risk? It's understanding what the investment is and believing in the investment standing on its own. If you wouldn't have done it anyway, if it wasn't for the tax benefits, don't do it. That's yeah, that's I, the that's the general rule. Yeah, I, I think that's a good way to put it. You know, If you wouldn't own it anyway, then tax benefits aren't really going to matter. Right. As we say, look, a really bad investment with a beautiful tax wrapper on it at the end of the day is a really bad investment. That, that's right. That's that's good. I like that. So I know you don't have a crystal ball. Uh, if you did, you certainly wouldn't be on this show, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I appreciate it. Maybe, maybe I would. You never know. Yeah, but. you would, right? But you'd be you'd be doing this from your yacht somewhere. Um, Fair enough. Fair enough. But let, let's just talk about the future and, and what you see happening and, and how this whole industry could evolve over time. And and some of the you know, potential changes to legislation and, and regulations that, that could affect investors in a, in a QOZ. Yeah, absolutely. So look, it's gone pretty well by all accounts, right? Uh, again, from a bipartisan standpoint, both sides are getting what they're looking for in, in this particular legislation. And going forward, we expect it, that success to, to continue. Estimates are over $75 billion has been invested in this, and which is pretty amazing because there's still people that you bump into that have not heard of this, 
you know, people that can take advantage of it. Um, you know, we, we bump into a lot of, of CPAs that, you know, have very vague notion of this, right? Um, so, you know, there's still an incredible amount of money out there that can take advantage of it. There's been bipartisan agreement that an extension needs to be considered for this because it has been so successful. Has there been changes to the legislation? Yes, there were some changes early on. Um, and interestingly enough, there was bipartisan agreement on what those changes needed to be. Everybody agreed that there were a few zones that did not, should not have been zones, right? They were not in areas that needed new investment or private investment. They were areas that had no business being in part of this. And um, it just so happened that their census data worked. Those have been eliminated. It wasn't a lot. It was a couple of hundred. The reporting around the substantial improvement uh, needed to be bettered. And that has done as well. Again, everybody agreed on that. Um, there was a, a another provision that was part of the legislation uh, it was a 10, originally 15, and then after 50, it then went down to 10% tax reduction. So to explain that, if you put a million dollars into an opportunity zone, you only pay taxes on it in 26, 27 of 900,000. Previous to that, it was actually, you know, it would be 15%, it would be 850,000. Then it went to 10%, and then it sunsetted uh, back at the end of 2021. There, There is some thought that with the new legislation, hopefully that would come back as well in, in the extension being expanded, but, you know, who knows? It's a little bit early for that. The fact is they've really done a nice job with most pieces of legislation. You you tend to see them sort of try to button things up with it after it's been launched. They've done a pretty good job of buttoning this up and getting it in an area where it's moving forward. And because both sides of the aisle, frankly, can point to this as a success, you would think it really doesn't matter who's in who's control. This is something that's going to get pushed forward. Excellent. Hopefully. Certainly, hopefully. hopefully. Right. So you've been in this industry a while now, and uh, you know I think it's it's important to get meaning out of your work. What have been some of the more fulfilling things um, that you've been a part of, and, and some of the more fulfilling aspects of of working in with QOZs and in driving community development? Well, I tell you, like you said, it is it is important to have some some level in our job satisfaction, right? In the ability to have some something fulfilling happen with this. Uh, QOZs have, have have been really fun for me to work in uh, the last few years. At my, at my current firm, I had a wonderful opportunity to be at a groundbreaking event in Washington, D.C. and looking around. And yes, there are the people there you would expect to see, the local dignitaries, the politicians, but also the local residents there. I can't say I've ever really worked on projects before where, you know, local residents come up and thank you. Thank you for investing in our neighborhood. Thank you. You know, my, my son is working for the, you know, the electrical contractor and he's working here every day. And he says, you guys are great to work with. Things like that are really fantastic. You know, you're delivering a much needed amenity in an area that typically has been ignored for a long period of time. And that's what you're seeing. And you're seeing that across the country in these areas. Like I said, the, the tendency is to think that they're all urban areas. That's not the case. There's lots of rural development as well. Those tend to be more industrial, but you're bringing something to an area that needs it. You're helping the the, the end investor, right? You know, when I'm speaking with with advisors and investors about this, you know, you're bringing a solution that is probably going to be pretty helpful to them. I've really enjoyed that part of it, uh, working with with families because this is typically a pretty large investment, right? This is not something somebody willy nilly thinks, you know, just writes a check for. They're, they're doing some due diligence. They're looking into it. They're trying to understand the legislation, understand the investment, understand the firm that they're, they, they'd, be, they'd be partnering with because it is a relationship. This is a 10-year relationship at least, right? So 
we always want to make sure that everybody's, you know, understanding what they're doing and working with families. You know, I, I've had quite a few conversations with with families where it's the grandparents, the parents, and the grandkids all on the same phone call. Uh, that's been really enjoyable. And interestingly enough, they typically are all interested in different things with the project, right? The grandparents are worried about being, the taxes being passed on to their children. The parents are looking at the rate of return and you know what kind of investment it is. The grandkids are asking about the impact. I'm generalizing, but that tends to be the case. Being able to work in those particular areas and, and, and seeing something you know, anytime you're working in development, that is sort of the the benefit. You actually see a piece of dirt become something, right? Yeah, tangible. You can go touch it. That's why investors like it too. Typically, right? They can go drive by and touch it and say, "I invested in that." That's you know, that's my building. So, from our standpoint as well, it's great, and you know, it's in an area that needs it. You know, that I've really enjoyed that. It's been an incredibly uh, fulfilling thing for me. That's great. So, I know this is a, a brand new topic to most of the people that are listening to the show. And if if they're curious to say, okay, there's some things that you mentioned that that warrant a little bit of additional uh, you know reading, and, and people want to learn more about this subject, what are some good places if somebody's interested in, in getting started with qualified opportunity zones, uh, but they don't really know where to begin? Where would you point them to to start to learn more? Speak with Jim, of course. You know that would be a great place to start with him and his team, or your specific advisor or, or tax advisor, and ask them about something whether this would make sense. Opportunity zone would make sense for you. That's really the starting feature of it. Fantastic. Well, Ray, I think this is this is excellent. I think it's, a, again, a, a topic that just does not get a lot of exposure, not a lot of education out there. And it really means a lot to to me and, and our audience that you took time out of your busy schedule to come on the show and, and teach us so much. So so thank you, Ray. We, we very much appreciate it. And, Pleasure. Uh, Enjoyed it very much. Excellent. And uh, Eric, let me turn it back over to you to, to wrap us up. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. Great information. So much packed into one podcast. It's crazy. Ray, Great job. Thank you so much for being a great guest. And Jim, of course, thank you for facilitating this. And our last thank you always goes to you, listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Maximizing Outcomes podcast with Jim McGovern. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Jim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review. This actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at McGovern Wealth Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Maximizing Outcomes podcast brought to you by Jim McGovern and the McGovern Wealth Group. Be sure to follow the show to be notified when new episodes become available. To suggest a topic or guest for a future episode or learn more about how we can help to maximize outcomes in your life, visit our website at www.mcgovernwealth.com. This podcast is intended for general public use and is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or McGovern Wealth Group, and opinions stated are their own. By providing this content, Park Avenue Securities, LLC, is not undertaking to provide investment advice or a recommendation for any specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact a financial representative for guidance and information that is specific to your individual situation. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Jim McGovern is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS. Member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America.
Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. McGovern Wealth Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. CA Insurance License Number 0F67329 AR Insurance License Number 7119103 California Insurance License Number 0F67329 Arkansas Insurance License Number 7119103 the discussion on this podcast episode is not to be considered a solicitation, but is strictly educational. Please contact a professional for further discussion to determine if it applies to your situation. Compliance number 2023-163257 expires October of 2025.